Our scripture this morning is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, thanks for joining us for worship at Sojourn. My name is Dylan, one of the pastors. We're going at a uh, blazing speed through the book of Romans right now. One verse last week and one verse this week. I just put two verses on there both times to trick you that we're going faster than we are. Not really, I didn't do that on purpose to, to trick you. Uh, as we turn to God's word this morning, would you uh, read these words? There's a prayer up on the screen. Uh, pray these underlined words along with me. Almighty, gracious Father, the true understanding of your holy word helps us to grow into the fullness of salvation that you so freely offer in Christ. Grant to all of us that our hearts, being freed from worldly affairs, may hear and grasp your holy word with all diligence and faith, that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness. To your praise and honor, and through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Author David Foster Wallace was giving a commencement address, and he told this kind of parable-ish story at this commencement address. And he, he told this story of, of two young fish that were swimming, and, and as they were swimming, they happened to meet an older fish swimming in the other direction. And this older fish, as he passes by them, says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the fish, the young fish, keep on swimming for a bit, bit, and eventually they they look at each other, and one of them says, what's water? There's this reality that's all around us all the time. If you were a fish, you would have this reality around you all the time that you would be completely unaware of, right? Like, there's no thought that enters into the mind of a fish that says, like, I need to think about water and what water is. And so this question of what's water uh, goes on for a bit, and then all of a sudden they come aware that they're unaware of what water is. They're always in it, so they don't have to think about it. And we can be unaware of important realities that are around us all of the time. And one of the graces of God is to give us some commands, and some of them even negative commands, things to not do that help us figure out the realities that we're swimming in that are all around us all the time that we may not even be aware of. Negative commands, what they do is they, they take into account that, that we're in a certain water. And the waters that we are swimming in, that we are in, are waters that are not neutral. We have non-neutral realities that are around us all of the time, whether we're aware of it or not. And here's what Paul instructs us and commands of us in those non-neutral waters that we're swimming in. He writes in chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Do not be conformed to this present age, but be transformed. So after uh, urging Christians in verse 1 to be all in people with God, to present their entire being to God as 
a sacrifice to him, living and holy and acceptable, to have their entire bodies, their being, be uh, offered up to God. Now he's going to say the, the negative command, don't be something. Don't be conformed to this world. And so we still have God's mercies in view as we go to verse 2 of chapter 12, right? Mercies that will move us from a place of chapter 1, verse 18, where the ungodliness that's in us puts us under the wrath and judgment of God, to uh, chapter 8, verse 1, to where we're now, because of the work of God in us and through us, we are in this place of no condemnation. How do you go from a place of judgment to a place of no condemnation? He says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's by uniting to Him. We, we have mercies in view that, that, that take us from chapter 1, verse 25, where we're, they're exchanging the glory of God and, and worshiping created things and not the Creator, to this place of chapter 11, verse 33, where we're just blown away in worship of the one true living God. It's those kind of mercies that are still in view as Paul describes a little bit more of how to be this sacrifice, living and acceptable and holy to God. He says, don't be conformed to this world or to this age. Conformed, it speaks of a pattern of behavior, a, a way of life, its thoughts, its words, its deeds, its actions, its values, desires, its goals, all of them. And he says, don't be conformed to this world. All of those things would be in line with the world or characterized by this present age, the here and now, the, the temporal things that we are experiencing around us. And there is a way of life in this present age. There's a pattern of behavior, a, a, a value system, desires and goals that are characterized by this present age. And Paul says that it's essential for Christians to not be conformed to those kinds of things. The truth is, is that we are swimming in present age water and conformed to it likely in ways that we're unaware of it because we're always in it all the time. And the present age is not a neutral age. And it is certainly formational. It is forming. Its pressures, its values, its goals, its desires are all around us all the time, and they're molding. They're pressing in on us. And so what this negative command here at the start of verse 2 does is it assumes sin's presence, that we have a non-neutral reality all around us all the time, and it speaks into that non-neutral reality and all of the non-neutral realities that are all around us all the time. Paul does this because he knows that malformation, the wrong kind of formation, is constantly ongoing in this present age. That conforming to this present age is always happening. And because he knows that's, that's true, he has to say, don't be conformed to it. So how do we know if this is happening? How do we know if we're being conformed to this world? What we might, be do, might do is we might be tempted to, to be like the man in, in Luke Chapter 18, there, Jesus tells this parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee, he's praying, and he says, I thank God that I'm not like other men. I'm not unjust. I'm not, un you know, all these things because I fast. And I, I thank God that I'm not like this tax collector over here. We might be tempted like that to look at those who are around us who are maybe politically or, or culturally or socially opposite of us and say, well, I must not be conformed to the world because I'm not like that. And like that Pharisee, we might say, hey, what well, we're not, we're not conformed to the world because of what we do. I go to church or I read my Bible. I, I clearly am not conformed because I'm not like that man. And comparison-like responses to verse 2, to whether we're conformed to the pattern of this world or not, likely blind us to the very real ways that this age has and is conforming us. 
A better evaluation of, of if we're being conformed to this age are to think back to verse 1. You remember when we spoke of verse 1, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We're to be all in with God. And, and my concern in verse 1 was that we are all in except a few things, right? We're, we're those kind of people who would say we're all in with God except for when it bumps up into my career goals. We're, we're all in except for when it conflicts with a sports activity that I want to participate in. We're all in except for when it starts, again, like making like a, claims on, on our bank accounts. We're, we're all in until it starts messing with our comfort calls us to holiness, and whatever those exceptions are, whether it's career, conflicts, uh, with the sport, whether it's your standard of living, whether it's your relationship or being unliked, whatever those exceptions are, there's either an idol there or they're connected to an idol, and something other than God is getting worship. And when we have exceptions and we worship other things, those things conform us. There's a principle that works through this passage. It's that we become like what we're worshiping. Look in chapter 1, verse 23. He says of these people that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie... And worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise, they gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. There was an unnatural worship a contrary to God worship, creature over creator going on, and what did it lead to? An unnatural, contrary to God life. There was an exchange of the truth about God for a lie, and it led to this exchange about natural things for unnatural things in their living. In other words, they were becoming like what they were worshiping. And if you give worship to sports, if you give worship to jobs, if you give worship to relationships, if you give worship to money, if you give worship to other things, whatever you're giving worship to, you're going to become like those things in what you value, in what you care most deeply about, in what you love. You are being conformed. Anything other than God that is getting worship is conforming us to this present age, to this world, the very thing that Paul commands us not to be. Don't be conformed to this age. So here's a better diagnosis of whether we're being conformed or not. Rather than a comparison-like response, one author says this, if our calculations, if our plans, ambitions are determined by what falls within life here, then we are children of this age. So start asking, what do you value most? What do you love most? What do you desire most? What are you after? And if those things are full of present age things, then here's what he says here. Like, then you're a child of this present age. And if you're a child of this present age, what we would say to you is you need, you need to understand that that is a, an age that's under the wrath and judgment of God and that you need to throw yourself back upon his mercies that he might make you a child of another age. But maybe you're like me, and, and maybe not all falls under this present age, but you're mixed at best. So some fall within life here and some don't, so you're still mixed. And what do we need to do? We need to remember verse 1. We're beholding the mercies of God that would put up with someone that has mixed loves like me. 
And then we go back again and we say, no, but I'm presenting my body to you. I want to be all in with you. And then when I'm going back there, then I go to verse 2 and say, well, now I need to not be conformed to this present age because those who are all in with God, as verse 1 talks about, are not children of this age any longer, but they're children of God. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. And they no longer belong to themselves, they belong to God. And we're united to Jesus. Our old self has been crucified with Him and raised with Him to walk in newness of life. What that is, is that's resurrection life, life of the age to come that has broken in and reached into our present existence and started shaping and forming things. We have been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what we are is that we're the resurrected people in this world. We're Easter people living in a Good Friday world, I've heard it said. We're people of the age to come in the present age. And what people of the age to come do in the present age is they take all of their calculations and ambitions and goals and dreams and plans and loves and they submit them to God as sacrifice of worship to Him and say, it's actually all yours. Whatever I was serving before, I'm laying down before you because I am to be a sacrifice to you and I'm wholly yours. I'm all in. These are all yours as well. And what this does is that it upends all of our plans, calculations, ambitions, desires. It subjects all of our desires to Him. It orders all of our loves rightly that God might receive worship alone and nothing else. Now what this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we need to escape from the world. Like let's hit the eject button and let's go live on our own. It doesn't mean that we can't be in the world like, well, I used to worship my job, so now I can't have a job. <laughs> or I used to worship my children, so now I need to leave. It doesn't mean that you just pull out or that you just become like we're the Christians that are anti-everything that's in the world. If it doesn't say Christian on it, we're against it, right? Like you're only going to shop at Hobby Lobby and eat Chick-fil-A for the rest of your life. Like that's, that's not what that means. We know that's true because in chapter 12, verse 18, he's going to tell us like if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. You're still there. You're still in this present age walking. It doesn't mean, it does mean that while we're in this age, that while we're walking around and we haven't escaped from anything, that there's a new awareness, a new sensitivity, different evaluation of all the things that are around us. Right? Having kids did this for me. It changed my awareness to what I was swimming in. Right? I started having a different awareness and sensitivity to the sights and sounds around me. So like, man, the, the sounds that I'd hear at football games and what's being played over the loudspeakers and the things that people are shouting that never would have, you know, made me think twice before are now all of a sudden like, hey, you've got to stop talking like that. <laughs> the, the screens, like the, the things that you'd see, the images that you see on the screen, like things that I wouldn't care about before, all of a sudden I have a new sensitivity, like I'll never put that in front of my child, right? Things that I was just swimming in before, but now I'm sensitive to in a new way and evaluating differently. And so Paul can come and say, you present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And when we do that, we're saying we're all in with God. That gives us a new awareness, a new sensitivity, a new way to evaluate everything that's happening. So Paul can swim by, as he does here in verse 2, and he can say, how's the water? And we can say, you know what, I have an awareness of the water now because I'm no longer a child of this age anymore. I'm a child of the age to come. I know a little bit of what I'm swimming in, and we can respond, by God's mercies, I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and I'm not being conformed to this world. But because we're still in the water, we still need this command. 
We're still in the water of this present age, and constant constant temptation for us is conforming to this present age. And so we need an ongoing don't. Now, this doesn't put Christians always on the defensive. We're always watching out on the defensive of what we're not to be conformed by. Paul wouldn't want us to stop with the negative command in verse 2 and just say, don't be conformed. He didn't stop there, and he doesn't want us to stop there. The, the negative's followed up by the positive. Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but what are we to do? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How, how beautiful is that? Not conformed, but transformed. And, and the positive and the negative, they, they belong together. They, they go together. To not be conformed to this present age, you're going to need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If, if you're not conforming to this present age, and that's what it is, it's a conforming to this present age, then the, the transforming is likewise. It's a transforming into the age to come. It's an increasingly breaking in of the age to come in the here and now. And this breaking in of the age to come is a lot like the transfiguration. In the transfiguration, this word is used again, that word transform. It's used at the transfiguration in Matthew and in Mark. And do you remember this? In, in Matthew chapter 17, it, Jesus is transfigured, or, or same word that Paul uses for transform here. He's transfigured before him. His, his face shines like the sun. His, his clothes are shining white. I mean, what is that but the age to come, the, the fullness of the glory of, of Jesus breaking into the present to where they could put their eyes on it in some capacity. The age to come had broken into the present. And that's the kind of transformation that Paul is saying that ought to be true of Christians. That that's the age that's breaking in. That's the transformation that we're thinking about. Not that we're going to have shining faces and glowing robes, but we're going to have a different way of looking at everything around us. And he says that that path and that kind of transformation is by what? The renewal of the mind. It hits in the center of our consciousness, in our thinking and in our understanding. It, it's not coming through convincing our mind that the things of this present age are vain and futile and worthless, right? That, that's a message out there like, here's what you need to do, Christians, to be transformed. Just convince yourself that this world is not worth it, and then that'll be enough. And that's not what we do. That might be part of it. That's not renewal of your mind, though. The path that Paul speaks of is the path of transformation. And again, he uses this word in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says we need to be transformed. How are we transformed, Paul? We're transformed into the image of Christ by beholding His glory. That's how we're transformed. Transformation is not by rules and systems. It's by, hold, by beholding the glory of Christ. Transformation comes... Not by merely thinking that this present age is vain or futile or worthless. Not by thinking of this present age rightly. That's not how transformation comes. Transformation comes by thinking of the person and work of Jesus rightly. And seeing Him and beholding Him in all of His glory. And so how do we behold the glory of Christ? Well, we read of it. We hear it. We meditate on it. We give attention to it. We think about it. We think about the greatness of the person and work of Jesus. After all, this is the one who Paul has been gushing over in, in the book of Romans. In chapter 1, he is the one who descended from David, according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. 
This is the one who in chapter 3 is the propitiation for our sins so that God the Father might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We can find in Jesus this one who's full of glory, our justification. This is the one who was delivered up in chapter 4 for our trespasses, raised for our justification. This is the one through whom, chapter 5, we have peace with God. He is the one who, while we were still sinners, gave himself up that we might be reconciled to God. This is the one who's the new and better Adam, that while we were under the old Adam, we were under the reign of sin and death. This Adam brings in the reign of righteousness and grace in our lives so that we would no longer be slaves to sin and death any longer, but would be, have this hope of a future glory. This is the one who we can know of our own existence, a wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me, and we can look to him and says, that's the one who's going to deliver me. He has will. This is the one through whom we have no condemnation. This is the one who is indeed even right now interceding for us and we could go on. And when our attention and our affection are captured by that very real Jesus, transformation begins to happen on the spot. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters where he, he writes this kind of fictional tale of, of Uncle Screwtape, this over-demon kind of giving advice to another demon. And he says this. He says, It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. What in the world would a demon want to keep out of our mind? I don't know, maybe like glory. Transforming glory kind of things. Those are the things to keep out of our minds, right? And so what does it say in 2 Corinthians? God of this world is trying to put a veil over their eyes. They may not see the glory of Christ. That's what he wants to keep out of our minds. One author says it this way, that the glory of God is the most powerful agent of transformation available to mankind. It's so powerful that it transforms those who merely gaze upon it. And church, we have to be a people that gaze upon the glory of Christ. And the same principle as above, right? We become what we worship. Beholding glory leads to worship. All the time. And there is only one who is worthy of infinite glory. There is only one whose essence is of infinite glory. Everything else is of lesser glory. So don't miss the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's through beholding that glory of that infinite glory in Christ that the age to come breaks into the here and now for us. So that minds who in chapter 1, verse 28, were debased and given over are now the objects of renewal. Minds that once suppressed the truth and turned them and twisted them for their own desires are now delighting in the truth and not just truth as information and data, truth as the person, Jesus Christ. It's through beholding Jesus that this transformation takes place. Fill your minds with the glory of Christ and be renewed. Maybe you're sensing just a need for transformation in your life. And who doesn't, right? Who doesn't? Look around. Like there's residue of conformity to this present age all over in us. Like it's all in us. There's pockets of it all over in our lives. Who, who doesn't feel this need or sense this need for transformation? If you feel maybe disheartened with the progress you're making in the Christian life and in, in the life of faith, if, if you're maybe weary from sin or your circumstances, or perhaps you're questioning, like, is this it? Is this all there is here? what you need to do. Behold Jesus. It's the most gracious command in all the scripture. It's present age, what it will do to you in those places where you're maybe disheartened, disillusioned, maybe where you're weary, 
questioning, the present age will hold out tips and tricks. It'll hold out steps and systems. It'll hold out habits and hacks. And the Bible holds out to us the glory of God in Jesus. The present age holds out your best life now. The Bible invites us into abundant life now and life to come. The present age tips and tricks, habits and hacks, they, they might be useful for living here and now, but they will never bring the transformation that you actually need. And the transformational, transformation and renewal that we actually need is only available in Jesus. And so we behold him, and we keep on beholding him. We need to be the people who are like Jacob a little bit. We just grab on to beholding Jesus, and we don't let go until we're blessed, until we're transformed, until we're renewed, until we're made completely new. And notice in 2 Corinthians, like that's not always a quick process. One degree to another, one degree is not much. It's not often quick, but it's real, and, and it's lasting, and it's not this present age only kind of transformation. It's, it's transformation that's going to carry over in the age to come. It's only through Jesus that this age-to-come transformation breaks into the here and now. And Paul is saying, be transformed by that. Don't be conformed to this present age. Be transformed by the age-to-come. And the fruit of this transformation is immediately described at the end of verse 2. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Minds that are no longer debased are now renewed, right? That's where we've gone. In chapter 1, they were debased minds. In chapter 12, they're renewed minds. Minds are no longer suppressing the truth. They're delighting in the truth. Those are the kind of minds that can do what he says in verse 2, discern what the will of the Lord is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, what's the will of God? Isn't that like the magic question everybody wants? What's the will of God? Well, that word will and approve or discern are, are both used in chapter 2, verse 18. In chapter 2, verse 18, Paul is saying, If you call yourself a Jew and find the law and boast in God, and verse 18, and know his will, there's that word, and approve, there it is again, what is excellent, because you're instructed from what? From the law. So what's God's will there? The, the law. God's will is written down in word form that they could read. They, they could be instructed by it. It was... Read, it was heard, it was words, right? It was written down for them. That's God's will. And it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. So if you're looking for God's will, you open your Bible and read it or, or hear from it and listen to it. Like that's the place to start with thinking about what's God's will. You start with the scripture. Now, one author said this, and I think it was helpful, even in provocative in the way he said it, he says, it's folly to pretend to seek God's will for your life in terms of a marriage partner or some form of Christian vocation when there's not deep desire to pursue God's will as he has already kindly revealed it. Isn't that the time where we're thinking about God's will? Like, what do I need to do next? Take this job, not take this job? Is this the person I'm supposed to marry or not? We're, we're looking for, for a leprechaun out there to appear when God's word has been written for us to use and to know this is what I want. And he's given us a book full of the things that he wants. And if you're not interested in that, in his will as revealed word, then guess what? You're not really interested in God's will. You're probably interested in him approving something that you already want to do anyway. That's not God's will. But minds that are captured by the greatness of the glory of Christ want to know God's will and they want to carry it out. 
So one part of God's will is to say there's revealed will. It's written down for us in word. But will also can speak of God's kind of overarching, overall, sovereign will that is unrevealed to us. The will of God that we see maybe in in chapter 8. In chapter 8, you remember the Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. Apparently we don't know it, so the Spirit needs to intercede for us according to that will. We we haven't seen it. We can't see it spelled out, so we need the Spirit's intercession. The the will of God that would work all things, verse 28, for our good. We, We don't see those things as, this is the will of God. I see it spelled out, but they're all working according to the will of God for my good, apparently. Or verse 29, that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We, we don't know all that. It's, there's some unrevealed things there in the will of God. Or it's the will of God in, in chapter 9, 10, 11, who says, uh, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. There's a will there. We know that God desires to have mercy. That's his will. But we don't see the specifics of, of where that's going to land all laid out and spelled out for us. That will is also good and acceptable and perfect. But notice what the renewed mind does. It discerns God's will, he says, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will is all of those things. It's revealed and unrevealed. It's, it's sovereign and it's decreed. Like it's, it's given sovereignly and it's also commanded by the words in the scripture. We have all of those things that are there. And the renewed mind, what it does is that it sees all of that. God's will as revealed. And some of those things, like verse 27 of chapter 8, unrevealed, God will have mercy. It sees all of those things as things that are good, acceptable, and perfect. In chapter 2, verse 18, again, where he uses that word approve, discern, and will, he says, and you know his will and approve what is what? Excellent. What is already excellent, or in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, you approve what is excellent. The will of God is excellent, revealed and unrevealed. The will of God is good and pleasing and perfect. It's all of those things already. So he's not just saying that it is, that this will is excellent. He's saying that it's known by the person as excellent. That's what he's saying in Romans 2 and Philippians 1. It's known or it's discerned or it's approved as those things. Jonathan Edwards talked about honey. And he said of honey, there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness by having tasted it, right? There's a difference. And those who are the verse 1 people who are all in with God, presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice to God not only have a kind of a rational judgment that God's will, all that it includes is good and acceptable and perfect. They don't only have the rational judgment that that's true, they actually have the experience that it's true. They've started walking those things out because God's will is that. It's not just something that's a rational judgment. It's things that start moving our feet in our hands as he is commanded. And so one way to discern, if I'm being conformed to this world or transformed by the neural mind and mind, is to ask, what do I do with the will of God? What do I do with the things that are revealed? What do I do with the things of, of chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, kind of the mysterious will of God? What do I do with those things? Do I see those things as good and acceptable and perfect? Not just that there's a rational judgment that they're so, but I've started living these out. And as I'm living out the will of God as best as I can figure out and 
commanded by the scripture, I'm walking in obedience, have I experienced those things as good, as acceptable, pleasing to God, and perfect before God? You see, the renewed mind with this breaking in of the age to come starts to see God's will differently. It's not something that's mean and heavy-handed. It's a joy. It's not a duty for me to do because I'm presenting everything to him anyway. I want to do whatever he wants to do because it's all supposed to be his anyway. So we see it as good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to see God's will as different than those of the present age then, right? You start to see there's a vast difference in what we see as the will of God. In the present age, if the will of God doesn't line up with their will, there's an issue. For us, when our will doesn't line up with the will of God, we say, your will be done, not mine. I'm not my own anyway. I belong wholly to you. This age will say, hey, you need to do, you do you, right? You just, you be you. Look like what you want to look like. Be who you want to be. Live to please yourself. The renewed mind says, you know what? I've been reading my Bible. And I've been seeing this glorious Jesus in every page. And I'd rather be like him than be me. And and that's what the Bible tells me to do. And that's who it tells me to be. And, And I'm actually who I'm supposed to be when I'm in him and being like him. And I'm meant to look like him and to walk like him. And I'm actually meant to please him and not me. So I'm going to do that. This age will say, you know what, you be true to yourself. And the age to come breaks in and says, actually, that, that true to yourself was a slave to sin and death, and destined for, for destruction before God. Walk in a new life that, you can be, that can be found in Jesus. This age will say, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're going to die. The age to come breaks in and says, actually, eat, drink, and be merry, because you have died, and you're living now, and you're going to live. Do those things. And the renewed mind says, you know what, no matter what, I want to do what is good and acceptable and perfect, not in my eyes, not in the world's eyes, but in the eyes of my God. I think Paul captures verse 2 really well with this image and picture that he draws for us in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim, what's his aim? To please the one who enlisted him. Here's what we know about civilian life. I mean, I'm not in the armed forces, so didn't think about the Air Force uh, atmosphere we have here, right? But civilian life is constant. It bombards. It's constantly saying, give attention to me. In other words, it's entangling That's why Paul uses this picture, right? But what does he say of the good soldier? The good soldier doesn't get entangled. Why doesn't the good soldier get entangled? Because the soldier's aim is something. There's a specific aim for the soldier. He aims only to please, not the civilian life, not this world, not things here now. The the good soldier aims to please the one who's enlisted him. And so, church, what's your aim? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, whether I'm at home or away, I make it my aim to please God. Christian, that's to be your aim. Home or away, present age, age to come, our aim is to please God. Whether God's will is revealed where obedience to that will will please God or where it's unrevealed and I don't know exactly my aim is still the same. I want to please God. Whether the civilian life is going well or it's not and there's sufferings that I got to share in in it, whether it's appealing to me or not, our aim is the same and it is to please God. We do this because we are no longer our own. By God's mercies, we are to belong wholly to him. 
This is the one who enlisted us. And he does the, that not as a general who's just barking out orders, but as the one who came to seek and save the lost. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. The one who came to rescue us from the reign of sin and death, that we might be delivered over into the reign from life to life. The one who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And it's through this one that we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable and holy to God. It's through him that we cannot be conformed to the, the present age, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And it's only through him. And one way that we do this, church, is through the very words of Jesus. He says in Matthew 26, verse 26, as they were eating, he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Church, one of the ways that we can not be conformed but be transformed by the renewal of our minds is to put that in front of us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. If you're all in with God, if Christ has made you his own, this meal's for you, a meal of remembrance, a meal of looking at what he's done, knowing that that has present realities for your life by your union with him, and that he's coming back to finish finally and fully what he started. This is a meal for you to be invited into at the cost of Christ you're in. If you're not a Christian, this is not a meal for you. Jesus is for you. Take him, believe in him, repent and trust in him. And he's the one who will break into your present existence with an age to come. We tell you, if you don't know him, we want you to. Find a Christian, ask what that means, but don't take this meal, take Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we see so many things when we behold you. One of the things that we see are things that make us ashamed. When we look at you and your life and your love and the things that you said, the way that you lived, the commands that you gave, when we look at that, we see our sin. We see how far we fall short of who you created us to be. But that's not all you intend for us to see when we look at you and even as we look at these visible symbols of the bread and the juice, we see you broken and bleeding on a cross because we are not like you, because we are sinful and you knew how bad we were and how bad we would be and you entered into this world and suffered for our sake to save us. And so we, we hate our sin, but we love you for your sacrifice and your love for us and we're so thankful that you forgive us for our sins and that you clean us up. And we heard from your servant Paul that we all with unveiled faces are beholding your glory and that you're changing us into your image one degree to another. It's slow, but you're working 
And sometimes it feels like it's really slow. Sometimes it feels like you're dropping the veil down back over our eyes. And we are not becoming like you, Jesus. And so we ask for your help. And we know that that's something that you're going to do, that you're going to provide. You promise us. You predestined us to be made into your image. What you started, you're going to finish. And so, God, I pray that we would pursue you, that we would behold you with joy. I pray that we would all be people of your word, that we would gaze into your word every single day and see your beauty and your mercy and your power and your love that we would continually conform our minds to your mind, God. That's what we get when we open up your book. We get your mind and you powerfully change us, God. Will you continue to work in us and let us put ourselves joyfully in your way so that you can make us different, Lord. And I pray today for people here who haven't started that process of becoming like you. I pray that they would see the foolishness and the emptiness of all of those lesser loves, the things of this world that they live for, God. I pray that they would see that their idol does not bless them, does not love them, and is not turning them into who they were created to be. Not the praises of man, not respect, sex, power, money, whatever it is, God. We weren't created for that. We were created for you. I pray that you would grant them today repentance and faith, that they would put their trust in you, Jesus, to save them and forgive them and turn them into something beautiful that looks like you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us, sinners though we are. Have mercy on us. In your name we pray, amen.